Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be in 7 through 16 this morning. As we begin, I want you to think about the movie The Sound of Music. If I were to tell you that The Sound of Music, the story of The Sound of Music, is about guitars, um, you'd look at me rather puzzled. Yes, there is a very famous scene in the movie where Captain Von Trapp you know, comes in, um, he sings Edelweiss, he's strumming a guitar. That scene is a major turning point in the story, but of course it's absurd to reduce the story to, um, to truncate it down in, in that fashion. Likewise, if we said Ben-Hur is about chariot wheels, you know, yes, there's a scene, a very important scene, you know, heading around uh, the Colosseum and the chariot race, but the stories, you'd agree, I'm sure, the stories are themselves much bigger and much more wonderful than, than that re- reduced version. And I think, brothers and sisters, sometimes we make the mistake, even in our songs that we sing on Sunday mornings, of truncating the story to be just about my individual salvation, your individual salvation, us getting our sins forgiven, us going to heaven, us not going to hell, um, and sometimes we sing that way and we, we talk about our faith as though that, that's, that's it. One of the beauties of the book of Ephesians is it pushes back against. The, Ephesians begins very big. It speaks of God's big plans to, to unite the entirety of the universe under the benevolent kingship of his son, Jesus Christ. That's big. Um, the, son, the same son who entered into this world of death, sin, and misery to deliver this world from the evil spiritual forces and the false gods which have held it captive. You know, that's big. Um, died, resurrected, and Paul says, ascended to the, the highest places in heaven where he reigns, but he doesn't leave the world to, to, to flounder. Instead, he, he does what? He recreates his body on earth, kind of like, uh, I'll come back to this analogy later, like a 3D printer. He recreates the body of Jesus Christ on earth, this three-dimensional recreation in his church to serve as agents of healing and restoration to the whole world. So I think it's important for us today as we have this discussion about serving in the local church, utilizing our spiritual gifts in the local church, that we keep the bigger framework in mind. And uh, so with that in mind, verse 7, but to, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says in Psalm 68, verse 18, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? I want you to notice here, quick comment. Notice Paul does not say that Jesus descended to earth. I don't think that he's talking about Jesus' incarnation as coming from heaven down to earth. It says, you see it, the lower earthly regions. In a sense, that's under the earth. And in fact, the way the Bible often talks about the grave or the underworld, uh, in Hebrew it's called Sheol, in Greek it's called Hades. I think that's what Paul's talking about. Jesus descended into, so in the Apostles' Creed we say that he 
He died, he was buried, uh, he was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The earliest ter- interpretations of the creed, his descent into hell is, is not that, not hell hell, but into the, to the underworld. Now what he does there in the underworld is up for debate. Um, you know, other people like Calvin say that Jesus descended into hell on the cross because he experienced hell on the cross. But, you know, the oldest interpretation of the creed is, is that he descended into the lower earthly regions. Verse 10. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order, again, this is big, to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Big. Uh, Verse 14. After this happens, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth, the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Look uh, back with me at verse 8. That's where I want to begin. Verse 8. <clears throat> it's an ancient Near Eastern image everybody would have known very well. It's the image of a king who heads out into the countryside, heads out into the hinterlands to fight against the enemy. You know, a great battle ensues, and the king, the great king, he conquers the enemy Well, after the battle is over, he doesn't fly back home. He marches back home. And there's a large parade of chariots, horses, warriors, this whole train of captives and plunder and riches that are found trailing behind him. Well, the people in the city hear of the triumph of their king. The good news is announced. The king is victorious. What they do then is they gather up their pieces of tribute, their gifts, and they run out to meet the king as he's still you know, in the countryside heading back in. And he, they give their gifts of tribute to the king. Hail, king! Congratulations on your great victory. The people give gifts to the king as he, as he ascends to the palace and ascends to his royal throne. Well, that's the original Psalm 68. It says, if you go back, and you can look at it later today, flip in your Bible to 68, and you'll find that it says, the Lord received gifts from his people, gifts of tribute, gifts of honor, as was the custom. But notice that's not what Paul says. Uh, if, you're, if you've been a student of the Bible for any great length of time, you know that the New Testament writers do not always quote the Old Testament verbatim. Rather, sometimes they will throw their own interpretive variation into the quotations. And this is one of those instances, because instead of saying that the ascended Christ was receiving gifts from us, it says what? It says that he, that he gives gifts. 
because he's a giver. He's not trying to extract as much as he possibly can from his people. No, he, he puts his hand down into the treasure shack and he begins doling out to Christians the, the spoils of war, the, the gifts of victory. What are these gifts? Number one, gift number one are the apostles. Not too surprising. You know, the apostle Peter, James, John, Matthew... Gift number two are likely the the traveling preachers in the first century who would go from church to church. That's what they called the prophets, generally speaking. Um, Sometimes the prophets could foresee the future, but normally the way they talked about them is they were traveling itinerant preachers. Gift number three, it says, are the missionary church planters, the, uh, the evangelists who go to people groups which have never heard the gospel before. And then gift number... Number four is the category that we're most familiar with. It's the pastor teachers. Not pastor and teacher, as it says in the translation here, but two roles in one office. The the pastor role, which is a nurturing, counseling, caring, coming alongside of the hurting type of role. And the teaching role, which I do on Sunday mornings, proclaiming the word. Um, But it's you know, this is the, the gift that we're most accustomed to. You know, the, the, um, some pastors are better at one and better at the other, but, but all of us, both, you know, pastor and teacher are needed, which leads to verse 12. The reason why we get apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers is, quote, to equip you, the saints, to equip you for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up. Um, so there's really kind of two gifts that Jesus gives. One is the, the, these guys I just mentioned. And the other is, he says, to each of us is given grace. The grace of spiritual gifts. And it's my job to kind of help you utilize those spiritual gifts for the, for the building up of the church. Now, what, what is a spiritual gift? This is a definition we've used in the past. A spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used for the good of the community. An ability empowered by the Holy Spirit used for the good of the community. The illustration I've used before is uh, when we teach our children to, for the very first time, learn how to draw their letter, letters or their numbers... What we will often do is we'll take our hand and curve it, you know, around their hand, around the pencil. We'll intertwine maybe our fingers with their fingers. And in so doing, they come a little bit under our powers. It's partly their power that's drawing the letters, and it's partly our guiding, directing power. And, um, and that's, how, that's how it works. We can think of our spiritual gifts in those terms. God is curving his, ran, his hand, his rand, his hand around our abilities and lending us his guidance, his movement, his power. Uh, sometimes this results in supernatural capacities. I, I don't have any of those. <laughs> I wish I had the ability to lay my hands on people and heal them or, or the ability to speak in different kinds of languages. I don't have that, but... But I've met Christians who do. I mean, some of you do. More often than not, though, it, it's really not supernatural capacities that, that are, 
It's just natural abilities that we already have that are used by the Holy Spirit that are given kind of the Spirit's power. Um, the ability to sing. I think the Holy Spirit, you know, he puts his, his hands around our, our vocal cords and he enables us to be able to lead in, in congregational singing. Uh, he takes our ability to cook and enables us to cook for large groups of people delicious food. He takes our ability to, um, to sit patiently with other people and, and listen and counsel them in wisdom. All of those, I think, are, are spiritual gifts. Most of the time, they are, are natural aptitudes. And every Christian has one. You've probably heard that before. Every Christian has a spiritual gift. Uh, But it's true. The ascended king, as the spoils of his victory, says, here, take this. I want you to use this. This is, don't let this go to waste. Don't let let this be like a Christmas morning present that you play with in the afternoon, and then it sits on the shelf and gathers dust for the rest of the year. I give these gifts to you so uh, so that you would use them. Which leads us to three implications. Number one, we don't want to bring a consumerist, a consumerist mindset with us into the church. And that, that's always the danger living in America as we do. You know, the consumeristic modern mindset. You know, back in the 1950s, when the American uh, military was recruiting to get people to sign up and be part of the army, the recruiting pitch in the Maybe the 40s or the 50s was Uncle Sam wants you. You It's your duty as a red-blooded American to uh, sign up and serve your country. Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about your place as a citizen of this great country. It was an appeal to one's sense of duty and citizenship. If the army recruited like that today, (laughs) can you imagine anybody signing up? I mean, be all that you can be is, is the, you know, they always appeal now to a sense of, of self-interest. You know, recruiters would never come near their quotas if they didn't appeal to self-interest. It's, it's always about what's in it for me. Um, how can I be all that I can be, you know? Much of the marketing is actually aimed at, at promising a thrill. The last time I watched an army commercial, it looked like a first-person shooter game where you're you're headed in, taking out the bad guys. Um, It's all about the thrill that you can... So much of our life is dominated by a consumeristic mindset. Um, It's it's just the world we live in. Everything is a commercial transaction. Everything is about how can I get an acceptable return on my investment? How can I get a good in service at a cost that's acceptable to me? Um, And when we come into the church with that kind of attitude, the way that it reflects itself is is mostly we are just interested in attending. You know, we are interested in getting input, but we're we're not very interested in in output. And, And there's some people, all they want from a church is to just let me attend. Somebody has said that, quote, Americans want a church... Americans want a church that never makes any demands on them, that never calls to any kind of commitments, or ever makes us feel accountable to serve others. Is that the church that you want? Actually, I don't think that's true. Um, 
some of the, the most recent research on church dynamics indicate that churches that require more of their people, that have a, a higher level of commitment and, and bar of service, tend to be much healthier and more people actually want to, to uh, participate in them. I, I really don't think that the 80-20 rule is in effect at All Saints. You know, 20% of the, of the people do 80% of the work, that type of thing. Um, no, I, I think if we were to evaluate it, it's, it's much more evenly distributed. Um, and thank you for that. Number two, well, yes, number one, we, we don't, we want to be on our guard against a consumerist cultural mindset. Number two, go back and consider the big picture that I spoke about at the beginning of the sermon. It is remarkable when you think that Jesus Christ is, is trying to reproduce himself on earth. Um, there are a number of analogies we can use for this. One would be the analogy of a puzzle. If you look, you scatter the puzzle pieces all over the table, and you look at the individual puzzle pieces, they just look like a blob of color. But once they are formed into a coherent whole, you get the image that is, has been created. And this image happens to be the face of Jesus Christ. Christ is the, the coherent whole. Or the analogy of the 3D printer. I don't know what substance they put into 3D printers, if it's gel or plastic. But if you think of the Holy Spirit as as kind of taking us and sending us, I don't even know how they work, but sending us through this this cool piece of technology and out comes a three-dimensional image of who? It's it's of Jesus Christ. Um, Jesus Christ is on this earth today in order to heal the world. Jesus is not here to live for retirement and a timeshare in Hawaii. He's here among us to heal the world. And he intends to heal and restore the world through his 3D printed body on earth, doing lots of different things. Christian acts of mercy. He wants to heal the world through our our works of mercy. He wants to heal the world through Christian schools. He wants to heal the world through just societal structures. Ultimately, he wants to restore the world through Christian love, the the kind of love that we had at the beginning of our bulletin, the the prayer of St. Anselm. And and here's the thing. When churches lose that big picture, the reason we are here is to be a 3D image for healing and restoration. When, When the church begins to use all of their resources, all of its dollars on meeting the needs of their members only, or when the, most of the conflicts revolve around members not getting things their way, then those are the churches that, of course, die. Because um, they've lost touch with the, the bigger picture and the bigger reason why we're here. Now, so, yeah, I'm kind of trying to, to use an audacious statement. We are here to heal the cosmos. <laughs> and, and I... Yeah, it's audacious, but I would love for you to at least have a, a big audacious picture of what's going on and, and maybe shake your head like, that'll, that'll never happen, um, rather than have just this little truncated vision of, of what we should be about. Now, I wonder, because Jesus has given every one of us spiritual gifts, I wonder if his desire isn't this, to have every 
every one of our spiritual gifts with an inreach component and an outreach component. Um, inreach and outreach. You know, every church has to strike that balance between inreach and outreach. I, but doesn't why wouldn't every Christian also need to strike that balance? I, I see Jesus Christ in this passage saying, I want all of these different kinds of people in my church with, with all of the different personalities that are found in a church, with all the different backgrounds and stories, all of their different experiences and nationalities. I want all these unique kinds of people to both be in-reach and outreach focused as part of the Healing of the World team. Maybe we should think of our spiritual gift matrix more like a, an individual fingerprint. Because every one of our fingerprints is unique. Um, I mean, every person in this room is as is, is unique as a snowflake. There's no two of us that are... And your gifts and abilities, opportunities, they differ from mine. You know what this means? It means that there are people in this world that you are, you're the only one who can reach them. Like God has prepared in advance for you to bring them into the kingdom. I cannot. There are people in this world that certain ones out there that only you can serve, only you can you know, minister as, as Christ's representative. And I just think if we become a church by God's grace, which really starts to think this way, that starts to think that the ascended Christ has given spoils of his, his victory to us in the form of gifts, to be used for inreach and outreach, we, we could actually make an indelible mark on the city of Boise. Then thirdly and finally, the third implication. There, there should be no passive Christians. There should be no passive. There should be no paralyzed, no paralyzed parts of the body. You think about if... If one of my fingers on my hand um, just kind of was dead, it, it no longer functioned for me. A finger on a hand that never points, that never beckons, that never grasps, that never moves, is a liability. Uh, it's taking up space and resources, but it's not contributing. It's actually in the way. If you've got a finger that's dead on your hand, it, it it's counterproductive. It's, it's in the way. You know, what I would say to you, brothers and sisters, dear friends, is don't let your gifts go unused. Um, don't, don't, don't let your gifts go unused. Verse 14. Because Paul says, when we use our gifts together, this will be the result. Quote, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, which is a long run-on sentence. What, he, what Paul says is that if we will all use our spiritual gifts, then we're going to grow to maturity. Um, if we don't, he says, you will remain as infants. And he includes himself in that group. He doesn't say... Uh, you will remain infants. He says, we will remain infants. If the greatest Christian of all time said that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remain a toddler unless the whole body exercises its spiritual gifts, 
If, if Paul says that, then it shows us how tremendously young we are and how much we need the body to be growing and building and doing its work. A mother went down for breakfast one morning and she found a bill from her son lying beside her plate. It read, mowing the lawn, $2, drying the dishes, $1, cleaning the garage, $4, total, total owed, $7. When the boy came home, came home from school later that day, he found a bill from his mother lying beside his plate. It read, washing your clothes, $0. Cooking your meals, $0. Cleaning up after you, $0. Total owed, nothing. You know, that's the way of maturity. The child is always asking the question, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? How, How do I do the cost-benefit analysis. The child always expects reimbursement. Um, But it's the mature who are willing to pay because they know they're part of something much bigger and much better and much much more glorious. They're part of a bigger story. And that's what I urge us to do. As Paul says to conclude in verse 15, uh, speaking the truth in love, if we will do that with each other, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Amen.